Welcome back, everyone, to episode 30 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I am Kenny Cochran, joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Jake Hugh. Hey, yo. After a dang near month sabbatical, we are back. The podcast is rolling, the dogs are rolling, and boy, do we have some exciting things to talk about. Um, before we get started, I want to say thank you all so much for all the support. I know it's been a while since our last episode. Uh, pretty uneventful month for the most part in terms of what's going on in our lives um, and what's going on in the sports world. Um, obviously, we had a couple of big holidays come up with Christmas and, and New Year's. Hope everybody had a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. I know us Dogs fans did. But um, for your Georgia Bulldogs that are going to be pretty much the main and only topic of conversation this episode, um, we had a month off. A month off from playing games, certainly not a month off of football and football practice from what we were doing. Uh, last episode, Jake, we talked about the SEC championship. Um, obviously, we broke that down and talked about what happened, what we expected, and, and kind of the outcome from that against that LSU team. And uh, mentioned that we had a big matchup coming up against Ohio State, second time in school history, something we we're really excited about. And uh, spoiler alert, it did not disappoint. It was a ton of fun, man. Uh, before we get too far into things, I do want to mention, uh, I don't want to go too far into details of everything, so it's still kind of, you know, bleak right now, but just pray for DeMar Hamlin. Uh, I would feel wrong if we did not at least mention that, you know, to start off this sports podcast. So, you know, keep that man in your prayers. Um, I'm sure most of you around the sports world probably knows what's going on with that. Um, and I want to go ahead and get out the way before we really get rolling into too much stuff. Um Sure. That was super well said. I'm glad you mentioned it. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Everybody's thoughts and prayers with DeMar Hamlin and his family and, uh, terrible, terrible situation. And, um, obviously everyone's hoping for the best and we're sitting back and, you know, awaiting some, some positive news. Yes, for sure. But, um, yeah, going back to the Georgia Bulldogs, man, Woo! talk about a game, a game that we were so excited for. We had to take a month off. But yeah, you said you said it well, Kenny, to get the podcast started. Yeah, we had some work schedule stuff, holidays, all that fun stuff. But the good thing is the dogs did not miss us, and we're we're right back in rhythm with these Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, we didn't get to talk about the Ohio State game, you know, too too much because I think when we did our last podcast, we were breaking down the the SEC championship game against LSU, and I think we might have mentioned a little bit, but at that moment, we did not really know that we were going to take so much time off. So we were probably I didn't go back and listen to it, but we we're probably like, oh, yeah, we'll just talk about this next week. And there wasn't a next week or a next week or a week after that. So now we're back, you know, a couple weeks later. And, uh, yeah, man, this is one of those games that, you know, you walk into game day, you know, a week ahead of time. You're like, yeah, we're about to we're about to roll, man. We're the dogs. And then, you know, things start inching a little closer and things go how they go. And you're kind of like, OK, we do have a really legit football game coming up. And then the day hits and it's, you know, New Year's Eve and you're so excited. But also that nerve starts to creep in. You see how crazy that TCU-Michigan game was, a game that we'll probably talk about, you know, a little bit later on in this podcast. And then you're like, damn, it is time for kickoff. And it came, and it might not have been, you know, the most amazing game if you're, like, a fan of, of, of either one of the teams. Like, if we're talking about, um, like, the aspect of just going into the game confident all throughout – but damn, for a sports fan, you cannot ask for a better football game. Really, in both instances, for both the, you know, both the Peach Bowl and the, uh, what was the bowl game called for TCU Michigan? I'm sorry, the uh, Fiesta Bowl. So both those games really, really, really were awesome games. It was a great New Year's Eve, man. A lot of good football was played. It's really something that we haven't had in the past, right? I mean, 
you think back years ago to that Rose Bowl matchup with Georgia and Oklahoma, um, which, you know, still in my book is the number one college football playoff game of all time. Um, but if you're going to rank two and three, it happened this past weekend. Definitely. We haven't seen we haven't seen too many close matchups in the playoff. Um, I know in recent years we've had some stuff like Cincinnati getting in there, and then we've had a couple of Notre Dame uh, sclounces in the past where they've come in and got killed by you know the Clemsons and Alabamas of of the world. And um, but this year, man, it was different. I, I think TCU making it in was something that a lot of people wanted to see, um, and a lot of people were hating on it. I will say because you know they did lose that Big Twelve championship. And um, obviously, Jake, the prophet here, called it like it was and predicted it beforehand. But really, I think something that, that that fans need to think about is when you're talking about teams and where they stand as far as making the playoffs and where they are beforehand, an undefeated team or a one-loss team that makes their conference championship game, in my opinion, should not be punished for playing in that conference championship game. You know, when you have a team sitting on the sidelines that – doesn't make a conference championship game, make it in over a team that lost in their conference championship game as an undefeated team or even a one-loss team. I think it's something that uh, it may, I don't want to say take away from what that team did the entire season, but for a team to be so competitive and so good all year long and then not make the college football playoff because they lost their championship game, I think is a super unfair thing. So to any of you TCU uh, criticizers out there, um, it was a big week for them because they went out there and flat proved you wrong against Michigan. Yeah, man. And and I was I was one of the people, you know, at, you can ask Kenny. I was sending mes- messages in our group chat, you know, before the game even started. And I was saying, yeah, I think Michigan's – I don't think TCU's going to be able to compete. And I said the reason behind that is because I do not think that they will be able to stop Michigan from doing what Michigan wants to do. And if you ever watch Michigan play football, I'd also mention this. Michigan's offense reminds me a lot of an early on Kirby Smart era offense where you you dominate the run game, you pass when you have to, and you let your quarterback be more of a game manager than a big play quarterback. And TCU did a fantastic job at forcing that exact thing to happen in this game. They limited Donovan Edwards a ton in this game. Um, I know he had that one long carry in the first quarter that got them all the way to the goal line. But outside of that, man, they, they were pretty much on that guy's neck. And they really, really forced J.J. McCarthy to really step up and make some plays. And I know J.J. McCarthy did make some mistakes, some pretty crucial mistakes, you must say, with two pick sixes. But, man, I was pretty impressed with what the guy did. I mean, he was running for his life back there, and he was still making plays. So, Dude, it was it was a lot of good quarterback play. We got to watch a lot of lot of good football. Maybe you know, maybe not the most clean football. Because if I'm looking at things, I'm gonna look at this Michigan game and TCU game as a game where both teams played pretty sloppy. Um, Michigan more so in the first half, and then TCU letting them back in in the second half. Where if you look at the Georgia Ohio State game, man, damn near perfect football on both sides of the field throughout the game. You know, Georgia probably had a little bit more mistakes than what Ohio State did. Ohio State seemed like they played damn near a perfect game of football. And we just happened to come out on top. So it, it was it was awesome to see. You're absolutely right. Um, and one thing I will say about Ohio State, and I know we're going to dive into it here, is that um, all year long we've seen Georgia beat teams in just about every aspect imaginable. Uh, you talk about running the football, throwing the football defensively. We've been miles ahead of every opponent in pretty much every statistic you could think of. But one thing that Georgia has been way above – others is coaching game plan preparation you just you can always rely on this team to be prepared and ready to go every single week regardless of who you're going to play 
And um, I want to give all the praises in the world to Ohio State because they put together an absolute perfect game plan and executed it 100% perfectly. Golly, I mean, you're not wrong. And honestly, live when I was watching the broadcast, I was getting kind of aggravated with how often they were showing Ryan Day on the screen. And I know there's been little chirps here and there throughout the year talking about Ryan Day. He's lost to Michigan, you know, two years in a row now. Um, But if you think about firing this guy, there is something wrong because there is not very often that you see Kirby get out coached in a matchup. And I I can't say it's happened at all outside of facing Nick Saban. There is a legit argument that we get outcoached in this football game. For a majority yeah, than not. Now, we'll say fourth quarter, things did change. But for three quarters of football, we were outcoached and outmatched at football. Yeah, I mean, in, in pretty much every aspect possible. Um, I mean, you just look at the box score in this game and see how things shook up. I mean, a 7-7 matchup in the first quarter, 21-17 in the second quarter. That third quarter, man, coming out of the half, Georgia got the ball, and it felt like, okay, you know, time to march down the field, punch the ball in, get this game back right, take the lead, and kind of roll out. And that didn't happen. I mean, OSU put up 10 unanswered in the third quarter, and, uh, you know, Georgia was forced to come back in the fourth. And luckily, we're able to pull it out. Stetson was clutch as ever, man, came out there and, and played the quarter of a lifetime. But, no, you're absolutely right, Jake. I mean, you know, the funny thing about matchups throughout this year is that obviously we're Georgia fans and we're homers, and every single game we can find something to dog the other team about. You know, we love to hate on LSU. We love to hate on Tennessee. We love to hate on Ohio State, even though we've only played them once. And then you come into this game, and it's like we were struggling to find things to talk bad about. Yeah. And even post game, we're still at that point. It's not very often that you will see me and Kenny enter a post-game conversation talking highly about another team. Sometimes we might do it with lower-end teams that give Georgia more of a fight than what we thought. But with another upper echelon team, you face them, and you kind of expect a competition. I would guarantee that majority of Dog fans did not expect to see what we saw on Saturday with this Ohio State team. They were a really, really tough thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. I love to talk trash. There will be no trash talked on this podcast because... <laughs> All the way till that legit, all the way till the the clock hit zero, we were stressing about this game. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an all timer for sure. Yeah, it was it was amazing, man. Um, would you like would you want to start a deep dive on this and then maybe touch TCU Michigan a little bit and then you know kind of jump into a little preview action for next yeah, week. I- I think we go TC, TCU Michigan after Georgia Ohio State because that's going to carry us into the to the TCU matchup. Beautiful, beautiful. I like um, that. Yeah, sure. I'll kick us off. Um, we'll talk about Ohio State, man. Let's talk about what they did and what really gave us fits. Um, we talk all the time about this UGA defense and what we've been able to do in the secondary. Um, you know, top safety tandem in the country, arguably top corner tandem in the country as well with uh, you know Kamari Laster and, and Keely Ringo. Um, in a matchup against Ohio State that loves to throw the football, it really came down to a couple things. And the couple things that it came down to are how are we going to game plan against their stars and how are we going to try and limit them the best that we can. If I'm going to give a critique on this Georgia defense headed into this game, I felt like we paid, and, and this might sound completely crazy coming out of my mouth, I think we paid too much attention to Marvin Harrison. Um, there seems to be a recurring theme in college football every single year that you watch it, and it's trying to limit a team's big players. Um, In college football, it really doesn't matter that much because 
we've seen it happen with terrible teams and great quarterbacks or terrible teams and great running backs or receivers or whatever you say about it. Great players win football games. Great players keep football games competitive. And I don't care who you are, what kind of defense you are, what you're trying to do. When you're up against generational talent on either side of the football, you have to beat them with your team. You can't stress about beating them individually. There's not a corner in the country that's going to match up with Marvin Harrison in college football and limit him man-to-man. Um, it's just not going to happen. I, I, you know, Sorry to say it, but I, just, I don't care who you are. You're not going to be able to do it. Um, to limit them to five receptions is good enough. But headed into this team, or headed into this game, man, one thing I noticed was Ohio State. I don't know if this is C.J. Stroud. I don't know if this was the offensive scheme. I don't know what they were doing. But one thing that was very, very consistent is that any time Georgia played any type of cover two, cover three, any type of zone coverage, Ohio State was ready for it. Anytime they saw man coverage, Ohio State was ready for it. I don't know if this was C.J. Stroud walking up to the line of scrimmage and recognizing zone or recognizing man, making an on-field adjustment, or if it was just them watching so much film that they had it dialed. But one thing that was very evident in this game is that whatever we threw at them defensively, they had an answer to. And what killed us consistently all night long was the deep crosser. You saw so many times that X receiver take a go route, take a cornerback, corner sitting back in, in either zone coverage or he's manned up with the receiver, pulled a safety back with him, and then that left up the sideline for that crosser to come across the, the, the other side of the field. When you have a crosser coming across the middle of the field, guys, that's behind the second level, behind the linebackers in that kind of gray area between linebacker and safety help, you're really relying on that corner that's tailing him cross field. And if you don't know, a football field is 50-some-odd yards wide. It's hard to stay on a guy like glue for 50 yards running full speed. And when you have a quarterback like C.J. Stroud that can throw the ball on a rope, throw the ball on a dime, it's just an impossible route to cover. It's something that Ohio State was able to exploit all night long. Um, and unfortunately, we weren't able to get any pressure on them. Their offensive line played an absolute masterclass. That's one thing you see with this Georgia team is we haven't been super susceptible to that in the past. Tennessee doesn't run a lot of crossers. They run a lot of vertical routes. Um, it, they obviously weren't very effective doing that against Georgia for multiple reasons, but one was because of the pressure. We kept pressure on Hendon Hooker all game long, and he wasn't able to get the ball out. It was not the case for C.J. Stroud. He had all the time in the world. He was able to deliver the ball on time, deliver the ball accurately. Um, a guy like Igbuka, uh, uh, Ibuka, however you pronounce his game, going for eight or name, going for eight receptions for 112 yards. I guarantee you, 75 of those 112 were on deep crossers. No, I'm agree. I agree, and I'm happy you actually mentioned that because not only could we not really get pressure, you know, too much out of the game, but even whenever we did get pressure, CJ Stroud was moving around so much, and he was just. It's almost like we were over-pursuing him. Like, he, we were flying in, you know, ready to make a play. There was one time Jalen Carter came in, not unblocked, obviously, but he got off his block quick, came flying to the middle, and he just got sidestepped. Or I, I, I know Smell Munden and JDJ got home, you know, twice. I, I think Smell got home early on, JDJ later on in the fourth quarter. But there was a couple times we had, you know, unblocked linebackers blitzing that, you know, he got out of. Uh, Bullard blitzed off the edge one time. He, he got out of it. This man was making plays in the backfield. It's a funny thing because I remember seeing some statistics saying that he is one of the worst quarterbacks in college football when he is pressured. Um, he did not show that in this game. Anytime we were getting pressure on him, he was making plays, getting out of the pocket, 
and making throws on the run. And I think that's almost kind of what messed Georgia up because going to this game, we're not really looking at C.J. Stroud as a, as a particularly mobile quarterback. That's not really been a part of his game at the college level. I'm sure everybody has the idea that he could probably do it, but he's not really a, you know, a runner that racks up a ton of yards. And even in this game, he did not. But he definitely showed a lot more movement than what I was expecting from him. And, you know, his, his, his stat line shows 12 carries for 34 yards, but he did have some pretty significant runs, you know, especially late in the game, fourth quarter time where he got him, you know, close to field goal range. Um, yeah, he was breaking, you know, tackles in the backfield. And one thing I will say about C.J. Stroud, there's not a throw on a football field this guy cannot make. He showed that in this Georgia game, getting out the pocket on the run, dumping one, you know, in the end zone to Marvin Harrison uh, with, the, with the corner that's covering it underneath throughout jumping up, just getting it over his hands. And just, just finding his man. And, you know, deep crossers killed us. But I don't think this guy missed a throw all night long. Like, I think almost everything he threw and had, you know, the intent to making it to the wide receiver, not throwing it out of bounds, even sometimes trying to throw it out the back of the end zone, it was still hitting people in the hands. So <laughs> it was it was, it was was pretty, pretty epic to watch. No, you're right, man. And and I talked about the receivers with Egbuka and with, with Marvin Harrison, obviously. Um, but C.J. Stroud... Can't go unnoticed. Um, this is not a, necessarily a hot take, I don't think, but one thing that was proven to me in this football game is that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback um, in this draft class. Yes, I, I think. Um, I think if I'm an NFL team and I see this guy sitting there in the first round, if I'm the Houston Texans with the number one overall pick and I see C.J. Stroud sitting there, it's a no-brainer. Um, what he was able to do against this Georgia team and turn nothing into something multiple times all game long was incredible. Um, you talk about him on the ground, 12 carries. It's just not something that we've seen from him in the past. Um, one thing that I've seen over the past month be a huge criticism with C.J. Stroud is his willingness to do whatever it takes. People talked about Dwayne Haskins. People talked about J.T. Barrett. People talked about Justin Fields and how when it came down to it, they were ready to put their life on the line to win a football game. And a lot of people were criticizing C.J. Stroud, saying that he wasn't doing that. And it's actually something that I'm not going to say was unwarranted, because when you watch the film, it almost seemed like it. You know, there was times where he probably could have got out of the pocket, probably could have got downfield, used his legs a little bit more, and he didn't. And it costed his team several times. Um, but I think that says more about C.J. Stroud as a person than it does anything else, because I think he was able to recognize that in this month off that he had to prepare for this Georgia game. And when it came down to it, man, he was there and he did it all game long. This dude absolutely did whatever it took to win this football game. And I just, to me, there's, there's, there's no one else I'd rather have if I'm an NFL team. I agree. I, I think that he has clearly made that jump. Um, I know Bryce Young went out and put up five toes on Kansas state. Um, they also had damn near everybody playing in that game besides their transfers. I want to say they had no holdouts for the NFL draft. So congratulations, Nick Saban. I hope you're proud of yourself. I know you came out there was talking about that. I had no holdouts for my bowl game. Well, most teams did, Nick. And uh, <laughs> I, I know with your old age, you're starting to become more annoying and you're starting to have to flex all this stupid stuff that nobody cares about. But, you know, congratulations. We didn't have any holdouts either, by the way, for our bowl game. But ours was a little bit more meaningful. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed watching us play. <laughs> hey they got the same day as us they got new year's eve baby let's go let's go and this is no like i'm i'm not hating on bryce young at all bryce young is obviously a generational talent and yeah, if, so if, if the houston 
if the Houston Texans were to take him at one, you know, there's not going to be any criticism for me. See, I mean, Bryce Young is absolutely incredible. Um, just what I was able to see from C.J. Stroud, man, this dude is he, – he's different. Yeah, I agree. There's, there's not a wrong pick between Stroud and Young, in my opinion. But just this this game right here is seeing what you can do against the Georgia defense. And Bryce has had success against, the, against the, you know, probably a better Georgia defense, honestly, in the past. But just seeing the way that he was able to manage himself in the in the pocket, you know, moving around, doing all that fun stuff. Um, it's a hard comparison to make, I will say. But, you know, you bring size and stature into things as well. I know NFL teams do look at that type of stuff for sure. Um, he definitely has more of the NFL quarterback build than Bryce does. Um, and this game showed me that the instincts, if, if they are, you know, different, they're definitely not far off. Because one thing I've always praised Bryce Young is his instincts on the football field, in the pocket, being comfortable, having the ability. And C.J. Stroud damn near looked exactly the same. So <laughs> The only thing keeping me from saying that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in the country is this young fella out there in uh, Southern California. <laughs> or this, uh, this guy that's... Uh, Playing quarterback at the University of Georgia. Ooh, baby. <laughs> oh, I would talk about Ohio State's defense, but honestly, I think most of our offensive problems were more us kicking ourselves in the butt than anything else. I don't think that they did anything particular on defense that made or break. Like made or broke this game. I think it was more just our offense um, stuttering. So, is there anything you want to mention on the defensive side of things? Or do you want to start hitting this Georgia offense? Um. Not too much, I want to say, on the defensive side of things. Um, I will say I was really impressed with their pass rush. I thought their defensive line did a really, really good job of getting pressure with four men. Yeah. Um, any, anytime you get pressure with your down lineman, is, uh, you know, that, that, that's what's going to help you win football games. And mm -hmm. with a, a big, big Ten defense, you know, specifically in Ohio State defense, that's not something that we really expected. Um, and props to them, man, they did it. The offensive line for us, you know, all things considered, played pretty solid. But, um, you know, we really, really – we're noticing that pass rush as the game went on, and it's something that we had to account for. But you're right, Jake. I mean, offensively for us, we had a really, really efficient game. I mean, we averaged more yards uh, per completion than Ohio State. We averaged more yards per attempt rushing the ball than Ohio State. It was really uh, shooting ourselves in the foot, not taking advantage of our opportunities. And um, you know, don't want to don't want to write off anything in this game. But I will say we uh, left six points on the board with two missed field goals as well. Yes, we did. <laughs> so let's, let's 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 bring us to the offensive side of things. I'll kind of get us kicked off right here a little bit, just kind of going over the beginning of the game, what we saw throughout. Uh, from the start, I will say this: Georgia started this game like a pissing competition. Oh, y'all think y'all can throw the ball over the field and do all this crazy stuff? Let us come out here and intentionally change our game plan without y'all even showing us we can stop what we normally do. Let us change our game plan and come out here and just try to throw the ball all over you. And, and, and that's what happened. Georgia was so out of tempo, out of rhythm from the start. And I, I think that's kind of what kind of got us going. I think the first drive, we might have ran the ball like twice. And we were moving the ball pretty decently. But, you know, whenever a team moves out of their game plan and tries to do something that they're really not, that's whenever you start seeing mistakes happen. Um, and from the start, that's what I saw personally. I mean, we have guys like Kenny Mack, Dejon Edwards, Kendall Milton, all big-time running backs. Why are we not at least trying to tote that ball a couple times? Um, I know that first drive kind of stalled out a little bit. I, I want to say the first drive was the Stetson. Was that the Stetson read option that he kept and went five yards in the backfield for some reason? I, I think that was the first drive of the game. Uh, yeah, bad read. Didn't give it to Kenny. Yeah, bad read. Uh, lost three yards on that play. Then, you know, J-Pod comes out, guy that is usually, you know, nails, consistent as ever. Doesn't get talked about enough, honestly, among Georgia fans. One of, 
you know, a, a legend at the University of Georgia. Comes out and misses a 47-yard field goal. Okay, nerves are there. We get it. Still a tied football game. Next drive, we get rolling a little bit. Get a little touchdown action going on. You know, we start driving the ball down the field. Uh, Kenny Mack gets a little little screen pass on the outside. Got pulling guards. Um, and he gets a little 25-yard touchdown. Then things start going kind of upside down. We get another touchdown. Tie, things are tied up, you know. Well, things are actually tied up 7-7 at that point. Ohio State comes back, scores. This is where things start getting really, really interesting for Georgia. This is where Stephen Bennett throws the interception. And I've watched film on this, and I will say this. Stupid play design. Yeah. Why in the world you have the potential of somebody coming on the edge unblocked, and you have your pulling left guard trying to make it all the way across the line to pick up that block? Obviously, he doesn't. He doesn't get there in time. So the edge rusher, he, he, you know, he he has a little bit of a delay. But now he's behind Stetson, and Stetson senses it. You can tell by the way he throws the ball. He senses somebody's behind him. He knows it, and he tries to quick release it to Kenny Mack on a wheel route. Um, I, I kind of watched the replay a little bit. Kenny Mack did kind of make like a little move on the inside of the and the inside of the DB, and then kind of broke back out to his wheel route. And I think Stetson was thinking that maybe he was going to stay inside the DB, and it was just it was just a total mess. And Stetson throws it right to an Ohio State defender. I think people were kind of under, you know, they were kind of thinking that Stetson just made a bad read. Where I think it was more just he was trying to rush to get the ball out, and it was a bad read. It was a stupid play, but he was just trying to make a play, and things happen, right? Um, obviously things start rolling. Uh, guys have big games. We go through. You know, we already talked about how the score was. We came back from a big deficit. Um, key guys for me that I want to mention. Arian Smith. I have became a Arian Smith super fan in this game, not only from the plays that he made, but just seeing how he is as a wide receiver. I, I know that sounds stupid, but I'm trying to put it into words, man. The way that he runs and the way that he moves at the wide receiver position looks elite to me. This looks like a guy, if he can come in fully healthy, Dude, this guy has all the talent in the world. He can run by anybody. There's not somebody that can cover him. We're talking about, you know, splitting cover two, finding the open spot in the field. We're talking about a complete burner route where he does a little fake and everybody's saying, oh, the DB slipped. No, that DB got knocked out of his shoes on that route. Even if he didn't slip and fall to the ground, he's still beat by seven yards. Like, <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Wide open down the field. Arian Smith was a spotlight. And then we're going to talk about our boy AD. AD is the best receiver we've seen at UGA since AJ Green. Maybe not talent-wise. George Pickens is more talented. But when it's all said and done, AD Mitchell has another year, fellas. And he is going to be back ready to roll. When it's all said and done, he will be the best Georgia receiver since AJ Green, statistically. There's no doubt. He's going to come back next year. He's going to put up insane stats because Stetson is starting to show. And he showed it last year when AD was healthy. AD is his guy out wide. He loves throwing the ball to AD. Getting him on the field is huge. And one thing I want to mention with this Georgia team that I think a lot of people were doubting and not thinking about, Mr. Reliable was, you know, barely playing in this game. Lad McConkey is a huge part of this offense. He might not be your, you know, super big play type guy, but he is the, he has always been Mr. Reliable the past two years at UGA. And him, you know, not really seeing the field much. He's dealing with a little bit of an injury issue. I'm happy to see that he did play and did show up. But, man, having him back, if he can get healthy for this Monday, you know, for this national championship game on Monday, that is going to be a big, big, big deal for this University of Georgia football team. Um, but, you know, wide receivers outside of that, man, Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint, he ran one route across the middle. 
Hey, I was having George Pickens flashbacks. This dude looked like he just found the fountain of athleticism out there. This guy was moving. I was like, holy cow. Is this, is this, is this MRJ? This guy was going. Um, Don Blaylock, to me, Don Blaylock is Jermaine Burton. And it's funny because whenever Jermaine Burton transferred, everybody was making it such a big deal like we just lost wide receiver number one. The way they move on a football field and the way they play reminds me pretty much the same thing. Like I, I think that he is just as talented as Jermaine Burton. Um, I, I could ramble on all day long. Obviously, I said the run game was not that big of a part. Um, Kenny Mack had five carries, Dejon had eight, and Kendall Milton had three. So that kind of shows how how little we really featured the run game. But we were successful. At the end of the day, Kenny Mack averaged 14 yards per carry, Dejon averaged 7.3, and Kenny, Kendall Milton averaged 8.7. But the only problem is we did not start trying to run the ball until it was a little bit too late in the game to really consistently run the ball. So it, it was just, it, it, it was crazy. Also, before I let you get into things too much, Kenny, if this is Kiaris Jackson's last game at the University of Georgia, I'm so happy he was able to have a big-time catch, you know, late in the game. It was Dude. beautiful to see. I know we're all Kiaris fans. Everybody loves Kiaris Jackson. And, you know, Georgia fans do. You have to love Kiaris Jackson. I think Kiaris Jackson plays a similar role in this offense to Dominic Blaylock. Um, he's a guy when you need a big play, he's going to be there. He's super reliable. When it's third and long and you got to get the ball to somebody, you know, Steph's looking for Dom. He's looking for Kiaris. He's looking for somebody like that across the middle. Sure-handed, go out there and just be the reliable target, and um, he's been that so many times for us, man. I know the numbers aren't there. He's not super flashy, but just a player that can make the world of a difference when you need him. You're absolutely right. Well, that kind of rounds it up for the offensive side of me. Uh, I, I will say this before I get out of here. Stetson Bennett might have played the greatest quarter of football among a quarterback in college football playoff history. I don't know. I don't have the stats in front of me. I'll be honest with you. But when you're down that big and you come out and go 10 for 12 with 190 yards and two touchdowns in a quarter of football, in the fourth quarter to make a comeback and beat a team to go to a national championship, it's hard to find a quarter better than that. No, you're not going to see any argument from me there. And I don't have the stats in front of me either, but it's hard to imagine somebody else doing that. That was uh, a good game in one quarter. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So, no, I mean, you covered it really well on the offensive side of the ball. The only thing I was going to hit on is that we ran the ball super effectively, but, you know, couldn't really get into a rhythm early on in the game. And um, like you mentioned, unfortunately, it was just too late to do it. And I think that may be something that we see change a little bit heading into this national championship matchup. If you see, I wore this hat for a reason, boys. Oh, yeah. Run the damn ball. And I, I we know Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin is a personality, right? Todd Munkin's a guy that's, not scared to go out there and say some stuff. I almost feel like Todd Munkin wanted to flex. Had to. Todd Munkin wanted to go out there and he wanted to drop some flashy plays. He wanted to show out how his high dynamic passing game can show out Ohio State's high dynamic passing game. For the most part, it did. Like, like we, we came out there, we won this football game. But if Georgia was to run their normal game plan, this game is still close, but we don't never get down to the deficit that we were at, in my opinion. No, um, I agree with you. Obviously, Stetson's interception was, you know, kind of untimely with, you know, how it happened. And all of a sudden, now we're down by two possessions. And it's kind of hard to claw back whenever you can't really stop a team on the defensive side of the ball. But, uh, man, man, we just got to get back to normal. We got to start running normal offense. And like you said, I'm sure things are going to change. I'm sure they're going to look at this week. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking all this trash when we just scored 42 points on offense. <laughs> 
but uh yeah it, it's it's a real problem because you don't want to go down that like you don't want to go down early like that this makes it where you know in the fourth quarter of this football game ohio state has a chance to kick a what 50 yard game winning field goal attempt maybe yeah. less than that so you know you, you don't never want to be in those situations and like i said hell we couldn't even stop them on defense anyways it was just a damn good football game it was man great football game yeah you're not going to find much of a better game in all of college football, much less college football playoff. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. The only one to rival it was that TCU-Michigan game, which was also a absolute banger. Banger. Fantastic football game. I guess we need to hit on that a little bit before we head into the uh, Natty preview. Let's do it. Let's get into it. I'm ready. All right, uh, TCU-Michigan. Obviously, we've been kind of hitting at it all night long. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably watched the game. If not watched it, you know what happened. Um, but... In the Fiesta Bowl, uh, TCU-Michigan, a game where Michigan was favored, a game where a lot of people expected Michigan to win pretty sure-handedly. Um, they came out there and, and did not do that. Um, a couple interesting things for me, and I'm going to talk more on the defensive side of things for TCU, um, because I will say, as far as the offense goes for TCU, relatively uneventful game. Um, you know, Max Duggan did a good job. He came out there. He played good football. He made the plays when he needed to, but it wasn't the flashiest performance by any means. Um, where I really thought the difference was made uh, was on the defensive side of things, and it's something that I was a little bit surprised by because you talk about a Big 12 team in TCU and, you know, the Big 12 conference as a whole that you know air raid, pass-happy conference. TCU runs out there with a 3-3-5 defense, something that we've seen all season long. They've been super susceptible to the run. Um, not to say that they haven't handled it well. Uh, you know, you, you talk about a TCU team that hand, that limited Deuce Vaughn uh, early on in the season, a team that limited uh, Bijan Robinson early on in the season. This is a team that was able to stop the run when it counted. Um, and to come out there against Michigan and, and try out that Big 12 defense had a lot of people concerned, including myself. And um, that brings me to, uh, to, to kind of where I think they're going to – where the, the dice may – fall in this Georgia matchup um, because that three, three, five defense, obviously three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs. Um, you're pretty much all out trying to stop the pass. Um, it's something that you see a lot of big 12 teams run. It's something that Georgia doesn't run a three, three, five, but we, you know, run a four, two, a lot of times, sometimes run a five, two, it just kind of depends on what we're doing. We've done some similar defensive schemes in the past but the difference is Georgia's defense has got a lot better players than TCU's defense um pretty much across the board but you uh you talked about it a little bit earlier with Donovan Edwards first play of the game TCU trots out there everybody are they going to try it out the 335 are they going to try it out something against this you know rushing Michigan offense best offensive line in the country what are they going to do and sure enough TCU jumps out there first play of the game 335 defense Donovan Edwards 55 yards right up the middle first play of the game um, so that, that was kind of curious to see from me. Um, you end up watching the rest of that drive and, and seeing the way it unfolded. TCU came out there and, and, you know, the defense was able to get a stop, but for the most part came out there in that same three, three, five formation and, and got gashed a little bit. Um, later on in the game, we saw TCU, they didn't necessarily switch to a four man front or switch to four linebackers in the box. What they did and something that I noticed is they walked down a safety a lot of time and played kind of like a little Rover position down there in the second level and kind of switched it up from a 3-3 to a 3-4. Um, 
And I think it really made a big difference for them because one thing that we saw was two pick sixes in this game, and both of them came out of that 3-4 defensive formation. So they brought down that safety. It made a big difference for them in, in stopping the run and, and being able to jump a couple passes um, and get some really, really clutch points because they needed it in what ended up being a six-point win. So um, I say all that to say that I'm curious to see how TCU you know, comes out there with a defensive plan against a Georgia team, a Georgia team that – Runs the football just as good as anybody in the country. Uh, you talk about a backfield with Kenny Mack and, and Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards and even Stetson Bennett that can run the football, you know, extremely well. I, I, I don't think that TCU is going to rely as much on that 3-3-5 defense as they did in the past this season. But, you know, who knows? They may come out there and surprise you like they did against Michigan. So that's something to watch for me. Um, I think TCU tries to walk down that safety like they did in the past game and, and put, you know, one more player in the box and, and throw George off a little bit. Um, but even then, man, I don't know if having six guys in the box or seven guys in the box is still going to be enough to stop this Georgia rushing attack. And you talk about it with Stetson Bennett. We've seen him do it plenty of times in the past, and there's no reason for me to expect him to do anything different in this game if, uh, if, we, need, if we need to air the ball out a little bit. Not anybody in the country I trust to do it more than him. I agree. Um, there, I'm happy you went more technical with this because I, I'm I'm going to give my breakdown on this game, and uh, it might not be the most technical thing. But I'm just going to tell you what I saw. Uh, just so you know, I, I didn't really get to catch too much of this game live. I actually just watched this game today um, before the podcast started, so got to see all the plays. It's pretty fresh in my mind. Um, yeah, you mentioned it, man. Michigan looked like they got off to a hot start. Right away, right away, Michigan looked like they were, okay, we thought Michigan was going to, you know, blow TCU out, I did at least, um, and right away, we thought that it looked right, like, it looked like it was about to happen, first play of the game, Donovan Edwards, you know, totes a long carry, uh, gets it, gets in the red zone, um, they get all the way down to, you know, the goal line, then fourth down comes along, and they run the Philly special, or, you know, Michigan special, whatever the hell you want to call it. TCU was all over it, man. It, it, it was a play design for J.J. McCarthy to catch the ball. He was the only guy that was eligible to catch the ball on that side of the field. Obviously, if a receiver throwing the ball, he's not going to turn back around and read the field. So whenever J.J. McCarthy's covered, he's trying to make a move, and it, it didn't work out. So that happens first drive. Then all of a sudden, you come out, throw a pick six. Uh, I do want to give old Bud Clark a shout-out. Uh, safety from TCU. I was really impressed with you know the game he put together. Um, he was all over that route, and... Completely jumped it, snatched the ball, ran it all the way home. And then, you know, later on, Michigan finds a guy deep. Absolute beater. He falls, butt hits the butt hits right before the damn goal line. First play, they fumble. Ball is in TCU's hands. Um TCU entered half with a 21-6 lead. And all the momentum in the world. At this point, they should not allow Michigan back in this game. But let me tell you. Um, Michigan had a sloppy first half. TCU had a sloppy second half, and that's exactly what got Michigan back in this game. Um, this is going to be a bold take. This is the one I was talking about earlier. Max Duggan was the fourth best quarterback to play a meaningful game this weekend. In my, in my humble opinion. I know JJ McCarthy, two pick sixes. That is that is that is pretty you know pretty untiming un, un, un and 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 a bad thing to do for sure. But without JJ McCarthy doing what he was doing for this football team, this is a blowout. This man was doing everything he could. He was running for his life in the backfield. He was running the ball. He was making throws on the run. 
he was making plays. And honestly, Max Duggan, I was not super impressed. Um, he got he got Quentin Johnson, you know, one of the best wide receivers in college football. Got him wide open, absolute burner, you know, down the sideline. Things happen. 76-yard touchdown, I will say. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, he did two picks himself and was not very efficient. 14 for 29 against this defense. And if you think this defense is, is, is somewhat legit or whatever, you're going to be facing a Georgia defense coming Monday. And it's not going to get no better. I, I've noticed one thing about Max Duggan. Um, a lot of TCU's plays are ran, you know, obviously in shotgun. Most teams like to do that a lot. In shotgun, play action to a running back or handoff to a running back, depending on, you know, whatever it is. And it's it's a drop. It's a read. Reed's not there. He's he's running. I will say he does like to stick in the pocket a lot, but he still does not have much head movement. It's, it's still a lot of staring down a guy, waiting for that route to open up. Um, he's a tough guy to sack. It's really, really tough to get to him and get him down in the pocket because he likes to sit so close to the line of scrimmage. He is very, very... He gives himself the ability to find space in the middle of the offensive line. So it kind of makes you think to stop this guy, you have to get some type of interior pressure to kind of keep him from being able to step up in the pocket. And whenever we have a guy like Jalen Carter in the middle of the field, um, that might be kind of tough for him to do. So I think that is one thing that Georgia should have an advantage with. Uh, I know we're not talking about that preview yet, so I'm kind of trying to get that out of my head. <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. But um, one thing I was impressed with TCU, though, is, is I... Do like their ability to run the ball? I think they ran the ball very, very effectively in this game. Um, Kendra Miller, um, guy 1,400 yards a season, like 17 touchdowns, has a lot of TCU single-season records as a running back. Um, he went down to this game, but before he got hurt, he was running that thing. And Amari DeMar- uh, DeMarcado, sorry, messed my pronunciation up, a little bit of a wild last name right there, absolute tank came in, and it, it was not much of a step down. He was also toting the damn rock. So. You know, I think they ran the ball very, very effectively. But on the defensive side of things, man, I think you're right. Um, I think they did a pretty good job of stopping the run after, you know, that first drive with Donovan Evers and the long carry. But come on. We're talking about 45 points right here under J.J. McCarthy's belt. And this is a guy that a lot of people are looking at as more of a game manager quarterback than anything else. Uh, that really did not have much help in the run game. So that, that intrigues me a whole lot. And I, I think that is, is a very interesting thing to keep an eye on going ahead. One thing I'll say about J.J. McCarthy is I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback in the history of football, college or NFL, throw a tighter spiral than this dude. Oh, my Lord. I would love to see an RPM count on his football. When he throws that sucker, dude, it is buzzing. I mean, he can spin that thing, dude. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And – um. I just thought that was super crazy to see. You go back and watch the tape, man. It's nuts to see the ball come out of his hands. But, um, no, I agree with you. I don't think that's a hot take about Max Duggan. I really don't. You you look at the quarterbacks and how they played this week, and obviously everybody's going to talk about the two pick sixes with J.J. McCarthy. But, I mean, he was more efficient. He was more productive. He ran the football on the ground. He got the ball out, you know, and, and got it done outside the pocket. He was able to keep Michigan in a game that they probably shouldn't have been in after seeing what happened in that first half. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I, I agree with you there, Jake. I, I really do. Um, and you're right, dude. I mean, this TCU team, one thing that I think TCU has been very good at, and, you know, this is maybe me giving a little preview into my Georgia talk heading into the Natty, is TCU has been very, very opportunistic this entire year. They've done a really, really good job at limiting penalties. They've done a really good job of playing efficient football. 
Max Duggan has thrown, I want to say, like five interceptions all year, which is crazy. Yeah, love that. Um, um, they don't fumble. They don't. They 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 just play really really good high quality football, and you know that's a testament to the team, to the players, of course. But I think it's really a testament to this coaching staff. I mean, you talk about Sonny Dykes, dude. I mean. This is a guy that a lot of people have been sleeping on for years. And to come in here to this TCU team and change the culture and change the way this team carries themselves, the way that he has, cannot go unnoticed. I mean, all the props in the world to this guy, what he's been able to do with this football team is just incredible. Um, So amazing coach there. Um, But you're right. I think what this really comes down to is TCU's ability to run the football. so without diving too much into a TCU Georgia preview, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it at that. Okay, okay, I like that. I'm, ha- I'm happy you can agree with me on the JJ McCarthy thing. Um, yeah, Max Doug Max Doug is a guy. I'm not, I'm not gonna take that away from him. We've seen this is game 14, and we have seen 13 games of him being an absolute dog, and he still is an absolute dog. He was still an absolute dog in this Michigan game. There's one thing about Max Duggan. he's not sliding. He's gonna take the hits, and he's gonna do what he got to do to get the extra yards. That, that's we all know that this man was crying after the loss to Kansas State, thinking they weren't going to make the college football playoff. So I'm happy they did make it. I think everybody in college football is a fan of Max Duggan. Um, but, man, I, I just I, – it's, it's just an intriguing thing for me, man. He can make throws. This is a guy that has the ability to make, you know, almost any throw on the football field. I think it's more of just an aspect of, you know, tightening, tightening things up a little bit. Some balls dig a little high on them on the outsides. Uh, and he didn't really look the most accurate out, out of everybody, which, you know, I don't really expect that because, you know, whenever you look at Max Duggan, to me, he's kind of like more of like a, I hate to say it like this, but like a Tim Tebow style quarterback, a guy that's like gritty, going to get his head dirty, like he's going to get dirty. That's the type of stuff he does. And his passing numbers are there. You're right. The guy has been super efficient, super, you know, crazy this year with a lot of his passing stats. So it's kind of weird to feel, to hear me say, I don't feel like he's that great of a passing quarterback, but Honestly, by my eye test, I don't think he's a lead passing quarterback. I think there are like there's some throws in the game that he made that were really, really impressive. I know that we were talking about the one he made to Quentin Johnston earlier today. That was an absolute elite throw in the pocket with pressure on his back, throwing an absolute dime to him. But there's a couple times, man, they, you know, wide open routes. There's there's a lot of things that they take advantage of. And, you know, whenever the balls get really, really contested, it did seem like he was letting throws kind of sail on him a little bit. No, for sure. And uh, you know, to play devil's advocate for for Mr. Max Duggan, I will say I don't think this was the greatest game by him. I think no. um, I don't want to call it an anomaly because you know obviously the way the game shook out, kind of a crazy situation with them getting up so big in the first half and then having to claw their way back into it in the second half and 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 you know regain control of the football game. But um, you know all season we've seen Max Duggan play some high quality football in this game. He really did just was not able to do that. So I think it's a just even more of a testament to the team and to the will of the coaching staff and to the players on both sides of the football that they were able to win this thing and pull it out because, uh, you know, judging by the way they played in the second half, they they really weren't looking like they were going to win it. Yeah, and it's funny that we say that a guy has not played his best game in a counter for four touchdowns in a football game. So, I mean, he still did his thing, don't get me wrong. It's just, you know, normally you'd be, you know, looking for Max Duggan, a guy that's a Heisman finalist to be, you know, a little bit more consistent, a little bit more efficient in this football game. He, it just wasn't there. I mean, obviously, they were still able to punt this win, and you mentioned Sonny Dykes earlier. Big-time win for him. I can't think of a coach that's ever, you know, appeared in a national championship in year one. I'm sure it's happened before, but, hell, you'd probably have to go back. You, that's probably something you'd have to look up to even find out. 
but it, it's obviously a rare thing. Um, and you know, congratulations to him, especially going into his, like a program like TCU. TCU has always been a team that's kind of been like middling a little bit, a team that might pop up in the rankings at like 15 and you're like, okay, there goes TCU right there. They're popping up a little bit, but never really much higher. Never a team that's like super duper competitive. They've always kind of reminded me in the past of like a Penn State. Penn State's kind of been yeah. floating around that same category of like, okay, yeah, they might get ranked in the top 12 at the end of the year, but you know, you know, playoff implications as it stands right now before the rule change, it's never going to make any big impact in that. Um, so yeah, I, I am happy about this playoff. And I, I'm really happy so far with how it's played out. I, I'll go ahead and say that. I don't have much more to cover on this game. So I, I'll just give my little closing thoughts on it. And I'll let you kind of touch back on this. See if you want to finish it and give your closing thoughts on, you know, just a breakdown so far. I am ecstatic with how this playoff has turned out. Um, matching up four teams against each other. I know we mentioned this earlier and getting the games that we have gotten so far. It definitely looks like that. Um, I know you can make the argument Alabama could be a top four team in the country. And they probably are. But... This is a very, very, very competitive top four right here. It, I, we have not seen a playoff this competitive in a long time. And honestly, as a Georgia fan, I hope that we go out there and blow TCU out. But then again, the part of me and the football fan wants this damn thing to be a good damn game. Like, I, like it, it, it's there. Like, I'm like, okay, I would, like, I, I would take a, a 37 to 35 UGA victory. Like, <laughs> just, just for a little excitement, right? No, dude, I agree with you. I mean, you, you talk about how the college football playoff has been in the past, man. I mean, this is undoubtedly the most competitive one yet. And um, I think they got it right. You know, you can make the argument of putting a team like Alabama in there or potentially a Tennessee if a Hendon Hooker didn't go down. But, I mean, I, I think all things considered, not judging just based on people's opinions, but how the season actually shook out, I think this is the right decision. I think these are the, the four teams that should have made it. And I think that was proven by these matchups. And, um, you know, it's just a super exciting weekend to be able to see the game shake out like they did. And I don't think it's – I don't think anybody's going to sit here and tell you that the two teams that made the national championship are not the two teams that deserved it most. No, I, I agree for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to hop out of the conversation or not yet, but I wanted to ask you because um, I know this is something It's just a little little side note. Any of these bowl games make you a little bit more excited for for expanded playoff? I know we've had the conversation in the past. Maybe 12 is too many, but that's, what's, that's what it's going to be. So we're kind of settled at that point. Any of these games get you a little bit more excited? Like, okay, maybe maybe some of these teams that were looking like looking out, outside that are just outside that top four, whenever the playoff expands, you're like, okay, if, if the playoff was expanded right now, these teams could probably make a little bit of a push. No, for sure. I mean, there's always there's going to be positives and negatives to anything, especially when you talk about an expanded playoff. I think the biggest negative to expanding the playoff is how it's going to affect the regular season. Um, one unique thing to college football than to to really any other sport, especially when you compare it to the NFL, is that in college, the regular season is so significant because you have to perform well throughout the regular season in order to just have an opportunity. Um, you know, more so with the BCS format of one and two matching up, but even now with the college football playoff, with it's still only four teams. So with the regular season being so significant, I think the only thing that would affect that is an expanded playoff. But I think the way that they're deciding to do the expanded playoff is the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, do I think 12 teams is too many? Maybe. Um, you know, you could probably change it up, maybe do like a 16 playoff with a play-in game and the first round bye for the top two seeds. But 
you're talking about conference champions getting the top four spots and, and getting a bye. You're talking about different things like that that still incentivize the regular season. I think anytime you take the importance out of the individual conference play, I think that's what's damaging to college football. But if this new expanded playoff is not going to take away from conference play, then uh, I'm not against it. I'm really not. Um, you know, we're SEC fans, man. We're, we, we always talk about how football is different down here. The Southeastern Conference is by far the most talented conference in college football. Um, you see it every single year. It's just completely an undoubtable truth. And there's so much pride in winning an SEC championship that I would hate to see that taken from us. Because as Georgia fans, it's a game that we've struggled in in the past. It's a game that we've gotten to. We've consistently dominated the East. Came in there against an SEC West team and underperformed. You saw it last year with the lost Alabama. Obviously, we were able to right the ship and win the national championship, but there's still so much pride in winning that conference and taking that title as the best team in the toughest conference in college football or the best conference in college football that I would hate to see anything diminish that. And um, with this 12-team playoff format and the way that they're doing it, I don't think it will diminish that. So, uh, no. Yeah, for sure it makes me excited. I think any time that you're giving the best teams in the country a chance to be competitive in the postseason, I I, I can't complain about it. I agree. And I, I'm excited to see more of these bowl games actually become meaningful football games. Like I that that's always the biggest issue with bowl season to me is because you get to bowl season, these matchups seem kind of exciting and you're like, damn, like this guy, this team's resting their star starting quarterback. Like like the Oregon, like the Oregon State Florida game, right? Like we're going, we're going to talk about that game a little bit, or the Kentucky game. Kentucky played uh Iowa, and it was absolute crap shoot. Kentucky did not score any points. And I know I said star quarterback. We're talking about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson here, maybe not star quarterbacks, but quarterbacks that have definitely like their teams are a lot different with with and without them. And we saw Kentucky get beat twenty one zero against Iowa, and we saw Florida get beat thirty one to three against uh Oregon State. So I mean. I know those teams were not particularly in the playoffs, but there's still some teams out there that it definitely would affect and, you know, make them actually play their starters. <laughs> if Florida was ranked if Florida was ranked five right now and they were to play in a bowl game against number eight, like Alabama did, Anthony Richardson still would not be playing in that game. It would still be a meaningless football game. So, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of interesting things that's going to happen. Uh, I definitely think that the transfer portal rule that they've implemented uh, will help this a lot. I'm kind of happy that they did these things at the same time because you can already tell the uh, what's happened now with the transfer portal rule that it is making more college football teams become competitive in the grand scheme of things. Like typically in the past, um, you run a one seed against a 12 seed uh, rankings wise. You know you're pretty much a given, but I feel like as college football has expanded. Um, we've, we've kind of gotten closer in, in that gap right there. Like, I feel like a 12 seed would probably play a one seed a lot closer right now than what we get. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know playing a team like Penn State or like a, uh, you know, I'm trying to think about teams that are ranked just on the outside, like a Penn State or USC, teams that are ranked right in that tier, I definitely wouldn't just scratch that off as a win. Like, <laughs> they're definitely tough teams to look at. And I think that's where I'm excited about with the first four, like the top four conference winners getting buys because you can't look ahead in that aspect. If Alabama's playing Penn State in round one of the playoffs, you can't look ahead and just assume you're going to win that football game and try to look ahead to George the next week, like, or however that rounds up. You have to focus on that game, and I think that's where that bye week does really, really become valuable because then you could just watch that game, pay attention to it, and you're right 
into like game planning for it. You're game planning for both teams right away, I'm sure. So I- I'm excited about it. I know that the Alabama game is the one that everybody's going to talk about because they just beat the hell out of Kansas State in a bowl game. And Kansas State obviously beat TCU in the Big 12 championship. Um, that's the one everybody's going to look at as a team. Like, okay, if the playoff was expanded, to be different. You look at other teams like like Tennessee. Tennessee went out against Clemson and, you know, absolutely put on a, you know, a master show, played a really, really good game against Clemson. Back quarterback looked great in that game. Um, and then the Penn State-Utah game, man. That was an exciting one to me. I, I really enjoyed watching that one. I know Cam Rising went down, sadly, got hurt. But Penn State looked really impressive, man. Sean Clifford going out with a bang at Penn State, man. Been there for 12 years, so happy to see that. No, I mean, you can overthink it as much as you want to, but at the end of the day, we're football fans, and we want to see good football. Exactly. And all the playoff is going to do is give us more good football to watch. So, I mean, if you want to hate on it, hate on it. But I'm going to sit back, drink me an ice-cold bush light, and enjoy some good football. And I'm going to say this. It sucks right now because we are a team that won our conference and won undefeated in the regular season. But within these next five years, we are going to have a letdown game. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, rather it be against South Carolina, Missouri, one of these teams, they're going to they're gonna catch a slip in one of these weeks. And whenever that playoff is expanded to 12 teams, you feel a lot more comfortable about that happening to you. <laughs> For sure. There's nothing worse than, than in college football. You lose a week two game against some trash team just slipping up a little bit. And now all of a sudden you're like, man, our season's over. Like we're sitting here like we don't know if we're going to make the playoff. There's nothing we can do now unless like teams start to lose and force us in like Ohio State did. Like Ohio State was a one-loss team that's only lost came to a a top five, top four team in college football, and they still wouldn't have made it if USC would have won the bowl game. So <laughs> that's where I'm excited about. It. I don't think one game. I do. I do agree the regular season should have an impact on how it works, but your season shouldn't be decided on one game. I, I think that's where we yeah. get a little bit extreme. And the problem is there's there's like five or six teams in college football right now this season that were like no loss, one loss teams, and there's only four spots. So <laughs> one loss did really implicate some things for some teams. And it's also going to give an opportunity for the Cincinnati's of the world and the UCF's of the world from the you know recent years or hell, even the Tulane this year. Look at Tulane and their bowl win over USC, man. You know, like teams like that, I, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to be competitive in a 12-team playoff, but it's definitely going to give them an opportunity, and that's something that these teams haven't had in the past. And uh, recruiting-wise, man, you can go to a smaller school um, because you like the fit there better. Maybe you like the scheme there, and you think you're better fit there and still have an opportunity to make a run, and that's just something that we haven't seen in the past. All these recruits wanting to make a national championship push have really had like three or four options for the past decade, and uh, you know we've seen that come into play year after year with these recruiting classes. You know, I, I think you're going to start seeing less and less of these Alabamas and Georgias and, and you know, whoever you want to talk about having five-star upon five-star upon five-star recruits come in there just because they want to, you know, have a have a luxurious college career full of uh, postseason chances and, and conference championship appearances and wins because, uh, you know, you're going to be able to have that opportunity at the – Oregon states of the world and the Penn states of the world. And I, I don't think that's bad for college football. No, not at all. It's, it's definitely not. We've already kind of seen it now with coaching changes and stuff. Coaches are kind of, kind of get trying to move programs and then get into their program a year early so they can go ahead and get things built up. So whenever that new playoff does come around, it's damn sure a lot easier getting that top 12 than that top four. So it's, it's, it's an exciting thing going on. Uh, side note before we get off things too much. Uh, Jimbo takes another L, hires Bobby Petrino as his uh, offensive coordinator today. So, 
Hey, I honestly am, uh, I'm kind of optimistic about this for Jimbo, to be honest. Um, I know there's a lot of criticism about around Bobby Petrino. He gave but, up uh, on the Falcons halfway through a season. We hate Bobby. <laughs> look, Jimbo Fisher has needed to relinquish the offensive play calling duties for a long time. Long time. Jimbo needs to relinquish his head coaching duties. <laughs> if you're, I don't know if there's a if there's a better person for Jimbo Fisher to give the play calling duties to than Bobby Petrino. Yeah. Oh, hopefully they're not a dumpster fire again. Thank we'll you, uh, thank you, Miami and Texas A&M, two most disappointing teams in college football. <laughs> we'll see what old Connor Wagman can do. Connor Wagman, wide. All right, Kenny, you wrap this thing up and go ahead and talk about this 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 outlook for this next game. Let's do it, man. Uh, for me, all things considered, I got a pretty short breakdown for you. Um, we've hinted at a lot of things and talked about a lot of things so far, to where I'm really just going to kind of go over what I've already said and, and point out a couple statistics here. <laughs> Um, without beating a dead horse, uh, I think this game's going to come down to defense. Um, you look at both offenses and uh, how they rank among Power Five teams. These are both very elite offenses um, throughout the entire season. They're both top ten, top fifteen in total offense among Power Five schools. Um, but I think where the biggest separation is is on the defensive side of things, specifically the rush defense. Um, let's talk about Georgia. The University of Georgia is number two in the nation in rushing defense behind only James Madison. So, obviously, that's number one in Power 5. TCU, 70th in the country in stopping the run. Let's talk about how that kind of plays a reverse aspect on this game. TCU loves to run the football. We talk about Max Duggan. Obviously, he's a Heisman candidate, a Heisman finalist. TCU runs the ball 15th most in the country. Matching up against the number two rushing defense in the country, I think that could be problematic for TCU. Um, and you talk about Georgia. I mean, Georgia can do pretty much anything they want. They can pass the ball at an elite level. They can run the ball at an elite level. But we talk about that every single week, so there's really no need for me to dive into that. So, um, yeah, without with, without kind of just repeating myself over and over, I think it's going to come down to, to, to the defenses. I think both offenses are great, and I think both offenses have the ability to make plays. You talk about Max Duggan, uh, Quentin Johnston, who, in my opinion, is the, the clear wide receiver one in this draft class. Um, probably the second-best wide receiver in college football, in my opinion, behind Marvin Harrison. But, um, you know, Quentin Johnston is a guy that you, you, you really can't stop him. There's not really one guy that you can single out, put on him, and, and, and limit him too much. He's just a, a type of guy that's going to come out there, and he's going to eat, and you just got to eat more. And um, you'd see that in this game. Uh, Personnel-wise, TCU's really good at the skill positions. Um, Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson, we've already talked about, but this running back room that you mentioned earlier with uh, uh, Demarcado, man, um, you talk about a guy like Kendra Miller, who is you know, having a record-setting season. Unfortunately, it goes down with an injury. I'm not sure what his status for this game is going to be, but you know, I would assume he's going to do just about everything he can to get out there and suit up. Um, but I think they're they're good either way. It's kind of like a Blake Corum, uh, you know, Donovan Edwards type situation where uh, they're going to be able to run the football regardless, and it's really going to come down to how this Georgia defense can stop the run. And with them being the second ranked rushing defense in the nation, I feel pretty good about it. So. Um, yeah, to me, it's going to be a, a defensive showing which defense comes out to play, which defense takes advantage of their opportunities better. Um, the only advantage I would give TCU in this game is, uh, you know, they're incredibly opportunistic, something that I've already said, um, but they're top 10 in the nation in turnover margin. 
Um, they're super well coached. They play really disciplined football. Um, it's not really a team that you can afford to come out there and, and make many mistakes against. Um, you know, just ask Michigan. Yeah, um, I'm a hundred percent with you on this, and uh, I have no doubt in my mind Georgia can score points on TCU. That is the no. least. That is the thing that Georgia fans should be least worried about is us being having the ability to score points. I'm going to tell you the second least thing we should worry about is stopping the run. Um, there's been questions with Georgia defense in the past two weeks against Ohio State and LSU. We've given up down near 80 points. We still are not allowing teams to run on us. That's not no. something that happens. Georgia over the past two or three seasons has not allowed anybody to run on us. I don't see that changing now. We are definitely more susceptible to the pass game, but football as a whole is becoming more of a passing game. So it, it, that's just nature. So, um, I don't think that TCU is really going to be able to move the ball on the ground on us. I will say this, uh, seeing how CJ Stroud was having the ability to move around and kind of get some rushing guards does make me a little bit intrigued because if Stroud's going to do it, I know Max Doug is going to be trying to do the same thing. He's, he's, he's a better runner than what Stroud is. So I, I'm definitely curious to see how Jordan can match up against that. Um, on paper, everything lines up for Georgia. The only thing Georgia does not do is technically we don't score as many points as TCU does per game. But we do have more offensive yards. We allow 100 less offensive yards uh, on defense. So we're, we're better all the way around than what TCU is. My one worry about this game is that it becomes a shootout. We Something happens and we somehow cannot stop their offense. Just like we saw with the Ohio State game. And at any level of football, a shootout becomes anybody can win. <laughs> it, it, it's if a game turns into a shootout, you can never project who's going to win that football game. It's a tough thing to see. Now, if, if we come out there and we get rolling on offense quick and we get some points up, we get momentum in our hands, unlike Michigan, um, I, I think you should have a, a pretty, pretty good shot because I really do think TCU was kind of playing above their heads and Michigan was really, really low in that first half. And then in the second half, things kind of came back to reality a little bit. And Michigan really, really did storm back. I think, if you don't, I think if you don't allow TCU to get up to that high lead like Michigan does, we should be in really, really good shape in this game. Because as much as I like Max Duggan, I don't know if he's going to be the type of guy to match up against the Georgia defense and just absolutely make him come back and win a game like C.J. Stroud is. Um, I mentioned it a little bit off air, and uh, I'll go ahead and say it now. I have a couple bold predictions for this game. And uh, I feel really good about them. Number one, I'm going to say that Brock Bowers is going to have the game of a lifetime in this national championship. This is a game or a player that a lot of people were looking at that Ohio State game thinking, where's he at? Where's he at? I know he ended up four catches for, what, 70-some-odd yards or 60-some-odd yards, whatever it was, ended up having a great game. But for the most part, it just seemed like we weren't really targeting him or making him as big of a game or a big as big of a part of a game plan as we should have. You talk about pound-for-pound pound, best football player in the country. Um one thing that I see with this TCU team, man, they love to live to leave the middle of the field wide open. Yeah. Wide open. I don't care if they're in a 3-3-5. I don't care if they're in a 3-4. I don't care what this team is in. The middle of the field is wide open all game long, and it's just something that Michigan was not able to exploit. They started trying to do a little bit better towards the end of the game. But if they had been keying in on this early, I think it probably would have shaken up a little bit different. 
in this Georgia with this Georgia team man and Stetson's ability to get the ball out quick and get the ball in space to his playmakers. You see Brock Bowers take a little slip route, slip route out in the middle of the field, a little seven yard turnaround, eight yard turnaround, or just send him on a little streak right across the middle of the field. I think Brock Bowers is going to have a field day on this TCU defense. And then my second bold prediction, I think Stetson Bennett, and I have absolutely, Jake, zero idea of what this record is at the moment. But I think Stetson Bennett is going to set his career record in a rushing yards in a single game. Okay. Okay, I like that. I would assume his price were around 60. I think he's had a couple pretty long carries. Uh, I, I, I like that. that. I like that a lot. And I'm happy you actually brought up those things right there because I have one I was going to mention. And the one I was going to mention is Lad McCockey is going to go over 100 yards in this game. He was quiet, Ooh. hurt with the injury. Um, last game, obviously, he was not on the field majority of the game. But when this offense is rolling, Lad McConkey is the silent killer. He's the guy at the end of the game. You go check the box score, and this guy has five catches for 80, 87 yards. You're like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> like that, that's, what this, that's what this guy was out there doing? Like, he is definitely the silent assassin on this Georgia team, and I, I think it's going to come out and show in this game. I think he's going to be back. He's going to be ready to roll. Um, you know, obviously, I, I hope we still see my boy Arian on, on the field a good bit. Um, I love my boy Arian. Get him out wide. Uh, get, them, get some things moving. Uh, also, one thing I want to get out of this before we really get out of here and start, you know, getting ready for the game. Uh, we need Darnell back. Yeah, we do. It, it came to my mind. Um, it's not the same with having Oscar Delp out there making those pulling blocks and stuff. I watched some of the tape, re- rewinded a couple things. He does not quite do it like Darnell does. <laughs> uh, no, he did not. He can make contact with the guy. We're just used to seeing Darnell Washington absolutely plant DBs whenever he's rolling out wide, running a 4 or 5 40, just plowing over defensive bets. And Oscar is is a great player. He's going he's gonna, to you know form into a really, really good player, I'm sure. But blocking-wise, it's kind of hard to beat a 6'7". 270 pound man that probably runs a, a four or six on a bad day so <laughs> we need him back I, I, I rewatched the play he got injured on a, quite a few times probably about five times to really see what happened and it looked like the guy that was pulling uh, I think it was Xavier Truss I don't really remember who was playing somebody was pulling over and uh stepped on his foot it looked like I don't know if it's yeah a, yeah it, it says ankle injury it looked like he stepped on his foot maybe he rolled his ankle a little bit and yeah. I think he was on the sidelines with crutches, but I think that's more of like a precautionary thing than anything else. Obviously, you don't want a, a man like that putting pressure on that ankle. It's a lot of weight to kind of hold up. And uh, he is listed as questionable right now. So he's not, you know, we still have some op- I, you know, optimism of seeing him play. But he is a big player on this team. And I think that's kind of what messed up Georgia's game plan against Ohio State a little bit. Like You have a guy like Darnell Washington. He's a guy that can, you know, somewhat draw attention away from Brock Bauer in the middle. And whenever he's not playing and you have a you know a freshman with Oscar Delp who's obviously not proven, he's not gonna draw nearly as much attention as your six seven tight end running across the middle as well with Brock Bowers. So, you know, but we need Darnell back on the field right here because he's another guy that has the potential to put together a good game. We've seen it happen this year where if teams are kinda locking up Brock Bowers, Darnell will quietly put together a you know, a four catch fifty yard game on you. Yeah, I think the big concern for uh for Darnell was uh, an ankle sprain, and I did see they came out and said that it is not an ankle sprain. He did avoid that. So, um, you know, they're optimistic about him playing, but obviously, you know, going to give him as much rest as possible. But I, I think he should be good to go. I don't know what kind of a pitch count he'll be on, but um, I think we'll definitely see him suit up and start this game. Yeah, and uh, going back to Lad McConkey a little bit, I know he's hurt. Um, 
if it was something that they they believe he could not play fully in this national championship game, he would not even touch the field in that Peach Bowl, in my opinion. I, I think him playing the Peach Bowl, I think it was kind of precautionary. Obviously, he was not in the field as much as, as he normally is. Usually, Lad McConkie's a guy that's on the field every single play. Like, you see Lad out there somewhere, and this time it was a lot different. Um, and having A.D. Mitchell back is, you know, does help that a lot, but... Having AD and Ladd on the field at the same time, two guys that are super consistent, you throw the ball to them, they're going to make big plays, they're going to do what they do. Um, it, it's really important. So I, I think he's going to be full go in this national championship game. Georgia fans, we should be really excited about it. I know we jumped down on Ladd a little bit for about two weeks there, you know, early on in the season. But outside of those two weeks, this man is is nails, and he will be playing on Sundays. I'm excited to see this kid. His girlfriend broke up with him. He's going through a tough time, but he's back. He's back. We have Mr. Consistency back. Throwing the damn ball five yards down the field. Somehow he's going to get 20 off of it. I didn't know who the hell he beats. And then he's going to break ankles. You're like, damn, Vlad McConkie's breaking ankles? <laughs> Let's go. You know it's a good day for Georgia fans. Love Lad. That boy is an absolute dog. I feel so bad for Lad, too. And I, I <laughs> it's very stereotypical. Because you look at Lad McConkie, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's not athletic. Then he breaks somebody's ankles on the field. You're like, oh, my God, Lad McConkie did that. Like, no, he's kind of been doing that at Georgia. It's just you don't really expect it from him. <laughs> he got that Gunnar Oshleski treatment. He does. He does for real. Um, it, it, It's a real thing, you know. I'm excited. I, I'm really excited. I hope next time we jump on this podcast, we're doing one episode of this week. Uh, That's going to give you all a preview, a little look back, all that fun stuff in one episode. Um, I'm excited next week when we hop on. I'm, I'm hoping for two episodes next week. we got some stuff to cover. We kind of want to transition. We want to do a kind of transition phase from, you know, college football national championship stuff into some other stuff we have some you know nfl stuff to talk about some braves offseason news that we are surely going to get to because we have not covered any moves that have happened we have had some big ones that i'm sure me and kitty are gonna have a lot of fun discussing but that's gonna be next week that's probably gonna be sometime around next wednesday next thursday so uh we're looking forward to that and uh kenny i'm gonna go ahead and say my goodbyes and i'll let you hit it after uh thank you guys so much um is that the last thing you want to touch on yeah man that's it for me beautiful Thank you guys so much. Uh, check out social media, Peach State Pod on Twitter, uh, YouTube side of things. You can check us out on Peach State Tailgate on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on the podcast, check us out on YouTube. You see our faces. We got new new webcams, new lights, new everything for Christmas. Uh, and that's it for me. Happy New Year. That's it, man. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be sure to check us out on everything like Jake just mentioned. And uh, we'll see you next week. And go dogs. Go dogs.